say something? Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to say thank you to the Buddhist temple. Um, I've now gone back to Narcotics Anonymous. Um, I wanted to say thank you for accepting me and letting me come in and meditate with you guys. Um, as you know, I have PTSD, and I just wanted to say thank you. I really appreciate you guys, and I really appreciate what a nice community this is. Oh, thank you. So Every, I'm sure everybody. Thank you. Well, thank you. Sorry, yeah. I'm tearing up. No, but thank you. We all are. I was That's... having a panic attack earlier, and it just feels nice that there's support here. Uh huh. And I really appreciate it. Oh, that's wonderful. So thank you. That's how we hope all of us feel and feel it towards it each is. other. It feels like a refuge. And they Good. feel a lot better. So thank you. Thank you. Well, that's our talk for today. guys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what we all want to be and want to have, right? That's nice. I'm going to talk about dukkha. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bad follow-up, isn't it? There's all this one. Uh, this week, I have a group in Elkhorn, and uh, I was leading the meditation, and afterwards I was asking a question about something in the meditation. And... Um, Someone, some, someone said, I couldn't help but notice that you were, during the loving-kindness part, you were really, like, talking about, uh, uh, when you talk about sending loving-kindness out to the world, she said, you were talking about, you know, the fires and the hurricanes and uh, floods and tsunamis and... The, the whales and the, and the sea turtles. And, and she said, oh, I just wondered what was going on. And I thought, uh, yeah, it was, that was the kind of week I had. So I was, <laughs> and I had just seen too much, you know. And I just had a conversation with someone earlier in the day about, well, how do you, they, they're thinking about moving to Florida and how do you even take a chance on doing something like that, moving to, uh, to a place where you might just be wiped out with a hurricane, you know, the next season. So my head was just full of stuff like that. And I realized that's just a lot of dukkha I'm carrying around, you know. So we have to, we have to think about those things, but um, the, the suffering about those things, even as deeply as we care about all of them, uh, the immigrants at the border and people being homeless. I see I can start going on about it. <laughs> we, can, we, can, we can have compassion and we can take action and we can be involved in the world. But we, but we, need, we need to do that without dukkha. That dukkha is that suffering that we bring to equality there's dukkha just inherent in the world. It's not, the dukkha's not all like from us and how we react to things. You know, what, we, what we're working with is samsara, with a world that's always full of things that we think of as heartache and suffering. Because everything in the world is, everything that's conditioned, everything in the world that is made up of parts 
that come together and form something. They're, they're all subject to uh, impermanence and suffering, and there's no, there's no actual uh, substance to them. There's no self. They're just pieces of, they're just parts all put together into something that we call a whale or a human or a, a mountain. And so the very nature of them it contains dukkha because what we, what we want, what we crave, you know, is things to stay the same. We don't, we, so think of how awful it is for our human mind to acknowledge global warming. Because talk about change, we're going to probably, all of us, I used to say not me but the rest of you because I'm older, but I think probably all of us are going to, are witnessing it and will keep witnessing it. So we can look at that and say how terrible that's happening, how awful this is happening. Or we can actually recognize it. This is part of samsara. This is part of this world. So I can, I can suffer about it, but I can also start to view these things as there is suffering inherent in change and impermanence. The, the, the suffering is there. So what we're trying to learn to do is to purify the way we think and learn more skillful ways and more wholesome ways to deal with the suffering that's, that's out there in the world, that's part of being in this world. Because we can't cure every disease, we can't live forever, we can't keep other things, we can't keep uh, uh, things from falling apart, even the things we love the most. We can't, you know, we can't keep a cake from being all eaten up finally. No matter, some of us do a better job at destroying that cake than others, but I know my, my mother is sort of a nibbler, so she could, she can usually keep a, a if somebody makes her cookie, she can keep that going for just a hell of a long time. <laughs> but if you give her a fruitcake, it's gone pretty fast. So, uh, you know, we, we, we just, we, uh, we make things impermanent. Some of us make them up in more impermanent faster than others. But that impermanence is in the nature of the thing then we create more dukkha, more suffering. I, I read in a tricycle article someone sent me yesterday that dukkha come, and I don't know if, if this is correct, but it's the poly, it's, uh, it's to do with like a being away from space, spaciousness. Does that make any sense to you? It's, it sounds good, but I didn't know. If, <laughs> it wasn't a poly scholar who wrote the article. So the dukkha is the, Dukkha, we can look at dukkha, that's we call suffering is sometimes the best translation we have, but it's, it's uh, keeping us from having that open, spacious feeling. It's whatever is keeping us tight or at conflict or we can feel the things rubbing up against something. And so dukkha is that being away from space disconnected to space. So all the things that we try to hang on to are the things that create the suffering in us. So 
the Buddha wasn't teaching that we that we don't suffer. And uh, I was I'm with a, with another sutta I was studying. It talks about what what the Buddha is really talking about when we talk about equanimity is that we learn to when things happen to us and we have an emotional response, we have that emotional response because we're wired as a human being. So that's a good thing. Our emotions are a good thing. But what we learn as we become more skillful and we, we learn how to work with our body and the way our mind and body work together, we can learn to very quickly, and the Buddha says like, a, like blinking your eyes, to, uh, to respond to that emotion without doing damage. Like to, to feel the emotion, but transform it from a negative emotion to like an understanding. To a, we, le- we learn to work with that emotion in a way that doesn't damage ourselves or others. So we're not saying that we become... Uh, like a robot with no emotions. But we're saying we learn when that emotion comes to us how to handle it, how to use it in a wholesome way instead of a, a, a destructive way. And that, that, there's, that we're, not, we're not eliminating the power of our emotions, which I think is it's powerful. We need to pay attention to them. But we can pay attention to them at a, at a, at a, I always like to think at a more core level instead of, you know, like a shotgun kind of splattering them all over the place and then looking around and investigating the crime scene after. Um, and you know, the image we use a lot about suffering is if someone shoots you with a, with an arrow, um, and they, someone wants to rush and give you medical help, and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, before you take this arrow out and try to fix me, I want to know, you know, what kind of feathers are in the arrow and what kind of point was it's got on it and who shot it and what kind of uh, bow it came from. And by the time you figure all that out, you'd probably be dead. So it, it's a really useful thing to use when we're trying to, when you feel yourself suffering all of a sudden, that our tendency, at least mine is, is to, why is this happening? And we often want to say, who did this to me? I think in this country, it's like, who can we sue? Who can we blame? We see that as a national sort of obsession. Like, who, who, who should go out and get a lawyer first, you know? So, but we, but somehow we have, we misconnect the, the pain and we get caught up in the, whose fault is it? Like that's going to take the arrow out. It's not. And uh, we can get a lot more arrows in there too. You know, we can get, have another shot or another shot. So I, I know I'm, um, I'm not going to say who the person is, but there's someone close to me who's going through the breakup of a relationship. Seems pretty imminent. And so my tendency is want to, to ask her, well, 
how did that happen? What did what did you say? What did he do? What did, you know like? And I, then I'll catch myself thinking, that's just like the arrow, like it's it, going back. Just it gets it's frustrating for both people, and sometimes we can't do that. Sometimes there's a point where we can say in a relationship where if we're paying attention all along, we can avoid getting into those situations, or we can stop it sooner and work on it and but that takes those are very skillful uh, behaviors and a lot of times we don't we may not have the skill to do that and so then we're we're in great pain but we're asking well why did he say that and well what what is that supposed to mean and well I don't you know we and we want to take sides so well it's not your fault so I I've caught myself really wanting to do that. Like, I want questions answered to tell me what... It's the confusion of not having that clarity, it seems like. It's more important to ask those questions than to just deal with what's happening. And that's not, that's not helpful. By that point, in any kind of a relationship, it's probably... Uh, you know, it's first of all, I'm not in the relationship, so it's not my problem in the first place. But um, I think I think it's very important for us too when we're thinking about dukkha and suffering. Is the a thing that's dukkha too is when we hate ourselves or when we're angry at ourselves because we we did something that we we wish we hadn't done, or we make a mistake. And then if our reaction is to turn it on ourselves, that's dukkha. Because that's not really using skillful means to, to deal with the, with the problem. I mean, we, remember the very first part of our practice is always loving kindness, and it's always towards ourselves. So if we're trying to develop skillful ways to handle situations, and if we're trying to, the, uh, the word defilement is used, like for the Buddha to become completely enlightened or for anyone to become enlightened, we have to, we have to get rid of all of our defilements. So it's, the def- I don't like the word defilements, but it's basically everything that we do that's not wholesome and that's not skillful. So for most of us, we have a long way to go. We have plenty of time to practice. But we, but at the same time, we can't waste a minute. You know, that's the way that the teachings are. We may, we may have, you know, when the Buddha talks about how long it took for him to become enlightened, we can't imagine that length of time. But then he also says, you know, his dying words were to his, to the monks was just keep meditating, you know, get, get busy. You don't have a minute to lose. And don't worry about the small stuff. Just, just do what you know to do. So, we have a long time to perfect ourselves, but we have a, we have no time to waste, at the same time, so that we have to work with that. But those, when all those defilements are eradicated, then we can, we can see things so clearly that. We can have that kind of instant blink an eye, and we've we figured out how to deal with a situation. I mean, we don't let it rise up and become another defilement. 
and think of some things that maybe a year ago you would have gotten really worked up over or real overly excited about something or uh, really anxious about something. And think if now, say if you've been coming here for even a year, if you have a different reaction, if your reactions slow down, or if you can actually kind of laugh at yourself because you see an old uh, pattern coming up, arising, and you can like recognize it, like, oh, that's how I used to do, that's how I used to be with everything. And I'm not, I'm not so quick to pull the trigger anymore. Bad image. Not so quick to, uh, you know, overreact or react at all. And then we, and you have that momentary feeling of, it feels so good not to have that automatic reaction to somebody saying this or someone doing this. And, that's what we're doing. That's how we're, we're eliminating those defilements. Little by little, we're working with whatever emotional stuff comes in, we're starting to work with it faster. So that's like the, we blink our eyes and we've already worked with whatever, that something that would have been painful to us a year ago doesn't have the same charge. So we have to be very uh, careful about uh, being self-punishing, you know, like, oh, I hate myself when I do that, or uh, I just can't get this, I keep making the same mistake over and over. That's dukkha, and that's the dukkha that we we, we put on ourselves. So in our quest for perfection, or for being 100% defilement, free, um, that's when we have to really remember we have a lot of time. So the first thing we can do to get rid of our defilements is to quit beating up on ourselves. And that's why we practice loving kindness and we start with ourselves. Because we've got a long road to hoe and so the only way we can make it is if we continue to cherish ourselves and it's the self that we're letting go of all the time. But when we let go of it, when we let go of the dukkha, we're, we're just becoming more part of everything else. So uh, that's all we're giving up, is just the, just the outer structure. So, so the rewards are great. So, it may, so you may... Be, you still don't forget about the whales and the turtles and the you every we all have our have our own favorite things that break our heart right but you choose you choose without anger you choose without just an emotional charge you choose the things that you can can work on the first thing we have to do is work on ourselves and hope that every action we take does no harm to anyone else and isn't harming ourselves. That's a much bigger action than we think, than we realize. Because that means what kind of uh, materials are we using in our homes, what kind of, uh, how much garbage we're throwing out and how we buy things and who we buy things from and, uh, you know, where our money goes. And, and because we're in this country, most of us have extra money. You know, it's not, 
we're not, our money goes to food, our money goes, we have, we, even if we're, even students, maybe even more students, we have extra money. I don't think the monks do, but, <laughs> but, but even for me, I'm an, I'm an American, so I mean, I have social security. I have, I'm rich compared to, uh, to the other monastics because I have I have a very I have a small amount of money that I'm getting from the government or from and from a pension. So um, we all have excess money. So you know just the just the choices we make about what we the choices we make about what we do with that those are significant. Those are meaningful and. Uh, we we can we can those are ways that we begin to be connecting to the world and helping, and then we can make choices about which cause we're going to put our energy into, based on based on a calm, not angry, uh, not any any kind of distorted emotional stuff going on, but a, a choice that 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 will cause us to find joy in the work that we do, and also help. Thank you very much.